Hey, everybody. I uh, just want to say one quick note. Uh, sorry it's loud. Um, I'm in an airport in London on my way to Italy. But uh, we get a name wrong, and I don't want it to sound confusing to you guys. Uh, we call Yoshikawa uh, Yoshikama at some point uh, for, a good, for the latter half of the, of the episode. So don't get confused. I don't know if you need to hear this. But anyways, enjoy the episode. It's a good one. The only horror movie podcast with Nick and Joe. <laughs> We're back, Joe. We're here. We're here. We're in person. Live and in person for the first time in uh, two, several months. Yeah, at least two months. Um, yeah. We're, I'm back in L.A., folks, and uh, this is the only horror movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nick. And I'm Joe. And uh, this is a podcast about horror movies. Uh, I'm somebody who doesn't know very much about horror at all, and Joe uh, is a, a bit of a professional horror guy. Yeah, you could say something like that. I've watched a lot of them over a lot of years, uh-huh. and... Uh, you know, I like reading about them and learning about them and stuff. I haven't seen all of them. No, you have not. But... But does that, is, that what, is that what makes you an expert, though? You know, is that what makes you like a pro? You don't think you have to see all of them. No, no. But I've seen, you know, I feel like I've seen enough of the most of the classics and enough in every genre to have at least a little knowledge about, you know, most of yeah. the, the big ones anyway. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot I, of obscure ones, too. A lot of obscure. One. Yeah, a lot of stuff. I mean, you show me some ex- obscure ones so far in this. podcast. So, I, 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 you know, we started this podcast with me not knowing uh, anything about horror uh, you know, well, I mean, just very little, but now I know a little bit more, you know, I'm, I'm slowly, this is kind of a podcast yeah. where Joe teaches me how to be a, a pro, you know, how to be a real fanatic. Yeah. Well, you know, we're both, I think, uh, through this process, gaining a, a deeper appreciation for what is often a underappreciated or misunderstood genre of movies. I think so. Yeah. I think you people know? just see it as like a barbaric and scary and there's a lot of art and beauty in these movies yeah there really is and you know they're starting to in the last few years sort of get like people are starting to reconsider the genre and it's starting to get a little respect although there is this kind of thing where people talk about elevated horror movies which is a stupid term i wish people would stop using because we've always had like uh you know (laughs) is elevated horror that just means like more than just like a killing people are like oh there's more to it than just crazy murders and blood and yeah people you know they think there's depth in some on some level with it you know either it's like more artistic or more psychologically deep or whatever but sure. that has been part of the genre for its entire existence right because i think it yeah it's film yeah and it's just a way for people who aren't horror fans to justify liking a horror movie i think is what it really comes down to right right yeah you like, know they're like oh i'm too good for this genre but i like you know Ari Aster because his work is elevated or whatever. Sure, right, yeah, 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 and that's no, that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we just watched. I mean, the movie this week is Audition, the audition. Yes, which uh, I mean, there's a whole. I mean, it's a very conceptual film, but there's a it's a lot oh, of yeah. meeting to this one. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, lots to talk about, a lot to analyze. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, guys, so we have a very long episode ahead of us here. Uh, so we are we are gonna kind of try to decide in real time. Uh, if this is going to be a two-parter. Yes, it could be a two-part episode. We might split it in half just to make it more manageable for us, and so it's not like a two-and-a-half-hour-long podcast. You know? Yeah, we don't want you... I mean, I don't like listening to two-and-a-half-hour podcasts. 
Nah, me either. Yeah. You know, they they should you know close to an hour is the sweet spot, I think, for these things. I mean, if it's a two and a half hour podcast, we gotta have some I it's gotta be some big fucking celebrity person that I love, you know, that's the only way I'll listen. But Yeah, yeah. We wanna get to that eventually. Yeah, that'd be cool. But that's not where we're at now. It's just two guys chatting in a kitchen. Yeah. It's just two guys, although we did recently add a third member to the team. That's correct. Yeah. Our friend Remy Mitchell. She's uh, she's our new researcher. Yeah. Our friend Remy has joined the team. Uh, we met her back when we were doing comedy in Orlando, you know, around 10 years ago or so. That's right. Uh, she's based in Wellington, New Zealand now. Crazy. And she's going to help us research some of these movies. And she, I got to say, she did a bang up job on this one. Yeah, she really delivered. She gave us so much that <laughs> we're... Again, we're going to struggle to fit it in. We might have to make two episodes out of this. Yeah, it's insane. It's, um, I mean, not only the research, but also just the plot synopsis here. Uh, Joe really went ham on this one and and uh, very detailed, but it's a long movie and there's a lot of stuff that you need to know. You yeah, know? you know, it's like I, w- I wanted to summarize, but it's like every detail in this movie is important. There's barely, like there's not a wasted second of screen time in this fucking thing. No, they call back to like um, pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, but I just wanted to say a quick uh, little bit about Remy, just uh, because she's going to be part of this now. So we want to introduce her to you guys. Absolutely. Uh, she says uh, she's a huge horror fan, but didn't really get into it in her, until her early 20s. Mm. Uh, at the moment, James Wan is her favorite director. Fantastic. Great choice. I don't know He's who that is. One of the did, best. What did he do? Uh, Saw. He did Sinister. He's oh, done a okay. bunch of big ones in the last, like, uh, probably almost 20 years. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Been working since, like, 2003 or something. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what was uh, Malignant? Uh, that was a fun one he put out recently. Oh, yeah. I never saw that one. I got to watch that. Yeah. We'll do an episode on that one. Hell, That's yeah. good. She says, uh, her love of horror isn't limited to film. Uh, she loves a good scary novel as well as a scary video game. Mentions Phasmophobia. I haven't played that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been or a uh, tabletop out. game uh, mentioning Nemesis, which is based off the Alien movies. Okay. She also says, uh, you know, she wants you guys to join her in the Discord so we can uh, get the chat going about all kinds of spooky things. You know, I'm in there, too. So Yeah, Joe's in there. I, I don't really make an appearance, uh, but I, I will also make an appearance if uh, if we could really get this thing going. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, and she also suggested, which I don't think we can do start just yet, but for upcoming movies, uh, we might try to do a, a watch party in the Discord. Ah, you know? yeah. We'll let you guys know when we're watching them, and then you guys can uh, join and uh, do a discussion, and maybe we'll have some, uh, you know, listener picks. Yeah, I would like the that. episodes. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be great. What and, a great uh, idea. Great suggestion from Remy. So, yeah. Yeah, Remy. All right. Welcome. Very happy to have you. Welcome, Remy. We are happy to have the Remy on the team. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, guys, we got a lot of stuff to get through. Um, I, I, I do want to check in for a minute, Joe, and see how you're doing. Everything good? You know, the wedding's coming up on the 19th. That's very exciting. Oh yeah, yeah. It's in like two weeks from today, I think. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm great. Want to say a quick happy birthday to my dad Randolph. We're oh. recording on his birthday today. Oh, he yeah. always he always Great. listens to the podcast. So fantastic! Happy birthday, Randolph! And I'm looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but yeah, I'm good, man. You know, been doing some music stuff, doing some writing, a little bit of stand up. Yeah. yeah, that rules. Yeah, your dad's name is Randolph. That's like you don't meet a lot of Randolph. Usually goes by Randy, but you know, Randy, my cousin yeah. Van started calling him Randolph, and then that's my great. brother and I just adopted that because it's fun. Yeah, Randolph is great. That's a great name. You just no one, no one's a Randolph. Yeah, his uh, girlfriend's daughter had a, a Muay Thai match today, but apparently her blood work results didn't come in in time, so she wasn't able to fight, which okay. was a bummer for her. But 
Uh, her mom, Carmen, is relieved. Right, of course. Yeah, fighting is scary. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure she'll get to fight again one uh, very soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, by the way, uh, I saw Nick's one-man show last night yes, at the yes. Yard Theater, and it is wonderful. Thank you, man. Can't recommend it enough. It's really funny, really great. I appreciate that. Uh, and I think everybody had a great time and was talking about how good it was after. I got a lot of really good feedback from people. Uh, and it was the best run of the show yet. And, uh, so it was about it was technically the third stage performance I've done of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like afterwards I was like, this is, this, this has got a lot of potential to, to be really strong. So, uh, uh yeah, it's the, already really strong and I can, thanks, all, you man. know, I can see it getting better, you know, mm-hmm. cause I'm sure you, you know, you'll put more work into it, but it already is a great fun show to watch. Thanks man. Yeah. I'm going to try to take it to Edinburgh and, uh, Scots, um, and Scotland next year for the fringe. And I'm just going to try to make it really great. But uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all the news. That's you know, awesome. Stuff is good. I'm going to Italy tomorrow for a week. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy, but I just decided to go because I had a voucher that I had to use, and I was like, let's just do it. That'll be cool as shit, man. A bunch yeah. of my <laughs> a bunch of my friends were just there for a wedding, and they all got COVID. Oh, right on. But cool. aside from that, they had an amazing time. Yeah, I can't wait. That'd be great. Yeah, I want to go there real bad. Like, it's, uh, man, I've just seen some photos. It's like... Some parts of it are just like the most beautiful places that I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very excited. I think I might try to go to Florence, but I'm going to stay mostly in Rome. So, yeah. Hell yeah. You know, it's uh, Argento country. Argento, man. That's the big one. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, so many other things. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're they known for some other stuff. But, you know, yeah. here at the Only Horror Movie Podcast, we know it mostly for Dario Argento. That's mostly all we think and about. And Lucio Fulci and Mario Bava and Lamberto Bava. Yeah. All their movies, all those uh, giallo. Maybe I'll try to meet like filmmakers. A, maybe I'll try to meet like a uh, uh, horror Italian chick, you know? Oh yeah, you know. That'd be cool. They're all probably in their forties and fifties now. Yeah, sure. But that'd be cool. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's get into this movie since we have a lot to get through. Oh yeah, real quick. Uh, also, you guys can follow us on Instagram and yes. email us at theonlyhorrormoviepod at gmail dot com. Yeah, review our podcast on Apple and uh, just tell your friends, share it on Instagram. Just just snapshot the, the episode and share it. It takes just seconds. Just tell your friends about the show. Yeah, we really appreciate it. All right. All right, let's get into this. All right, let's do it. Yeah, the movie is Audition from 1999 in Japan, directed by Takashi Miike and based on a 1997 novel by Ryu Murakami. Uh, it was produced by a production company called The Omega Project, who also greenlit Ringu, which became The Ring when they remade it in the U.S. Yes, of course. And that was part of how Audition got greenlit. Yeah, right on. That rules. Yeah, I've seen Ringu. It was crazy. Yeah. Not as crazy as this one, though. No, this one's <laughs> fucking insane, man. Really slow burn, too. It is, yeah. It really, you know, it feels like a different genre of movie in the first half, almost. Yeah. How many, do you have more notes you want to get through, or do you want to just go into the plot? Uh, I can mention just a couple quick things. Uh, premiered at the Vancouver International Film Festival in October 1999. Uh, premiered in Japan in March of 2000, and the U.S. premiere was in August of 2001. Grossed $131,296. Uh, and it was filmed in three weeks. Oh, uh, Which... For Takashi Miike was longer than his usual two-week filming schedule. Jesus. Uh, he's directed over 100 movies, super <sighs> prolific. Uh, at one point, he was doing an average of six movies a year. That's incredible. Um, and yeah, mo- he's known, especially in the U.S., as a horror director because of his uh, you know, audition and Ichi the Killer and okay. Dead Heat were all pretty big horror movies, but 
he works in all kinds of genres. So he, you know, uh, I watched a recently a samurai movie he did. I can't remember the title at the moment, but it's about a, a samurai who gets cursed that he's like immortal. Wow. And it's just like, uh, Mike says he doesn't like bloody and gory movies, but it's like the bloodiest movie I've ever seen in my life. Damn. Okay. It's like, you know, he just like, it's hundreds of people getting hacked up. Oh with, my gosh. With katanas. It's great. Right on. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah. This movie was pretty gory. But it, but it, would, it takes oh, yeah. a long time. I mean, you got a good hour plus before shit goes down. Yeah, it's got like there's some creepy stuff going on, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, and yeah. then that that third act. Oh, the third act, woo doggy. Yeah. Um. Well, all right. Should we get into it? I think we should because right. we got a long way to go. All right, folks. So here it is. This is the audition. Uh, audition. No, the uh, plot breakdown. Okay, here we go. We open on a young boy carrying a gift basket down in the empty halls of a rundown hospital. The card reads, Dear Mom, get well soon. Cut to a hospital room. A doctor calls for the nurse as a man. Sh- now, I got to get this name right. Shigeharu? Uh, yeah, yeah oh. I think Shigeharu, yeah. But how do you say his last name? Oyama? I would say Aoyama. Aoyama? Or okay. Aoyama. Okay, sorry. We're, sorry. We're gonna, yeah. yeah, if we butcher these, we're doing the best we can. We apologize to all of our Japanese uh, listeners and yeah friends. we do it we do apologize send us some voicemails of you pronouncing it right and we'll right. do better next time yeah actually on the last drive-ins commentary uh their their art director or like set decorator uh yuki yeah. is from japan and they actually went through and had him pronounce all the names oh, that's of all the cast and all the actors but i i wasn't able to like write it all down that's all fine okay so oyama so Shige- shigaru will say Oyama leans over his dying wife. She begins to flatline as the doctor informs the husband that his wife has passed. He kneels down and leans over her body. His son, Shigehiko. Okay. Well, yeah. Shigehiko? Yeah. I think they pronounce it like Shigehiko. Shigehiko. Yeah. But Shigehiko was maybe what we should go with. Shigehiko. Just pronounce them phonetically. Yeah. Shigehiko enters the room with his gift basket. He says, I brought this for mom. And the man turns and nods. Already an emotional gut punch. Yeah, right up top. Mom dying. Little boy brought a gift for his mom. Poof. Uh, so later we see the man and his son walking down the street in Tokyo. The word audition appears, spelled out vertically in red letters on the right side of the shot. Cut to seven years later. Waves crashing over rocks as we see Oyama fishing in a heavy jacket. He calls out to Shigehiko, now a teenager, that they should go home because the waves are too high. But suddenly Shigehiko reels in a small fish. Oyama says that uh, he's only out here for the big ones, the, the big the big old fish. Yeah. Yeah. So they talk with each other about uh, women, and Oyama gets a call from a friend to discuss something they've planned. And suddenly the line begins to run as he hooks a very large fish, which they plan to share with Reed, their housekeeper. Cut to Shigehiko cutting into the fish at the dinner table. His dad asks him why he doesn't bring friends over anymore. <laughs> Shigehiko kind of just ignores this question, and he mentions that the fish that they caught the black sea bream all start out as male and that they become unisex when they reach about 15 centimeters. Then some become female. They continue to discuss fish anatomy before Shigehiko tells his dad that he doesn't look young anymore. <laughs> kind of just mean. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, yes, why he doesn't get remarried. Yeah, you old loser. <laughs> yeah, you fucking come on, dude. You're sad and old and boned me out. Yeah. <laughs> so cut to Oyama and a friend. Yo, uh, Okay. And a friend, uh, Yasuhisa uh, Yoshikawa. 
So Yoshikawa is pretty easy, I think. I went with the last name, so I thought they were a little easier. For sure. Absolutely. They're watching rowdy concert footage. And Yoshikawa, the owner of a small f- uh, film production company, compares the footage to a ceremony for a religious cult and says that they're pretty much the same, both lonely. And he says that happy people wouldn't go to a concert like this. You know? Which is like, you know, it looks like they might be like punk or hardcore shows from the 80s or 90s in Japan. Yeah. And Japanese hardcore bands are the craziest of any hardcore bands that I'm aware of. Yeah. In a genre full of maniacs. Like, I mean, what I saw, they looked pretty rowdy. Yeah. Pretty nuts. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also, I will say this about I, something, you know, with Japanese uh, uh, art, uh, a lot of it is just like on such a other level. I mean, it, it's it's displayed in this movie. Yeah. You know, I think it maybe has to do with the sort of repressed formal culture, you know. Right. That just comes out when it yeah. comes out. It just comes out. Like, yeah, like the Japanese. I've seen some Korean horror films and stuff. There's just, I mean, it's like a whole other world. Yeah. So he goes on to say that the whole of Japan is lonely. Cut to Oyama's office. His secretary informs him about a schedule change before he leaves for the day. His secretary follows him out to the elevator and tells him that she's going to get married soon. And he congratulates her somewhat awkwardly. And there's a bit of tension here, though. It seems that they have some kind of history, right? Mm -hmm. So later at the bar, Oyama and uh, Yoshikawa discuss the difficulties of the production business. A table of girls nearby are laughing and having a good time. And Yoshikawa says that they're awful girls, no class and stuck up. And they're stupid as well. And he wonders where all the good girls are. Yeah. Painting a picture of these guys as pretty sexist, misogynist dudes. Yes, yes, you get a lot of that in this movie. They see women as very inferior and serving a very specific purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in spite of his friend, Oyama says that he wants to get married again, and they discuss what his ideal girl is, and he says he wants a girl that has a job and some training who can play the piano, sing, or dance, and he believes that certain training gives people confidence, right? he goes on to say that he'd like to observe some women and choose the ideal one, you know, and Yoshikawa proposes the idea that they should hold an audition, right? So this just sounds insane, this plan, you know? He's like, I would love for a bunch of women to be lined up and I could just choose the perfect one that I want. Yeah. And then he's like, let's fucking just bring him into it. Let's do that. (laughs) Exactly that. We'll trick them all. (laughs) It sounds like the plot, kind of like a plot of like a dated rom-com, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the uh, the next day at the office, Yoshikawa presents ideas for the fake audition, right? They'll create a romantic story with a lead woman in her 20s or 30s with special training. Oyama is concerned it'll be fraudulent, but Yoshikawa reassures him that it will be part of making a real movie. So Oyama asks if he's supposed to marry the lead girl, but Yoshikawa says the girls who are that talented wouldn't marry him and that the really good girls always fail the second interview. Yeah, you got to go with the B squad, buddy. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just like smack in the face, yeah. you know, like no shame. It's just like, no, no, these these are special women who would not like you yeah, at all. Yeah, right. You got to go with the, the average ones. Right. Who, the ones who, who fail. Who are good, but not very talented. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're not good enough, but uh, they're good enough for you, I guess. So he says that they're about 1% of all applicants, attractive, smart, and with a, a good upbringing, traditional and well-trained. The movie will be called Tomorrow's Heroine. He says these girls are not unhappy uh, and that happy people can't act well. How do you feel about that? So only sad people are good actors. I think that. Well, I mean, tough, dude. I think that he's I don't know. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think that sometimes it's true. I think there could be a, a, a bit of truth to that. Yeah. You know, like 
I think that every actor that I've seen is kind of like tormented or damaged in some kind of way or fucked up or weird. I think like the best actors are the craziest people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might be some exceptions to that. Absolutely. There's exceptions to every rule. But it seemed like quite a few of them are just either sad or just weird as fuck. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, yeah, especially the really famous ones. You know, there are some good actors who are not who, who are unknown that maybe are not as yeah. strange. But yeah, I mean, I like um, what's his name? Colin Farrell as an actor. Mm-hmm. But as a person, I'm like, I would never want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way about a lot of <laughs> a yeah. lot of uh, people in the entertainment industry. For sure. So he tells Oyama to trust him and that there's uh, that he's a pro at auditions. Cut to Oyama sucking a traffic jam in the rain. He turns on the radio and hears an ad for tomorrow's heroin. The ad that plays, it says, wonderful things might happen if you encourage yourself a little bit more. And mentions Aubrey Hepburn and Julia Roberts. Audrey oh, Hepburn. Audrey. <laughs> Sorry. We see a shot of a little girl listening to the radio ad that says, tomorrow's heroin could be you. Real manipulative kind of ad, too. Yeah, I don't really understand what's going on in this moment, though, right? Because yeah, they well, talked about making a movie called Tomorrow's Heroin, and then he's hearing an ad for it. An for, ad for people to audition. Which oh, is, okay, gotcha. Yeah, which they don't really do here, but maybe they do in Japan. Perfect, got it. Okay, so cut to Oyama returning home from work. His housekeeper tells him to heat up his dinner and leave his laundry in the basket before leaving for the weekend. Later, he's at his desk in his home office, going through stacks of headshots of women auditioning for the role. He glances at a framed photo of his wife for a moment before turning it away from him. The phone rings, and it's Yoshikawa asking him about the girls, and and he tells him to select 30 applicants. And he's like, oh, 30? Oh, Jesus. He's got like hundreds of headshots in front so of him. So many. And he's like, he's and he's like looking at all these headshots like a child looking at like, like his Halloween candy or something. Oh, yeah. He's so excited. They're all good looking girls, you know? Yeah, all attractive. All have various skills. Uh, as he goes through the stacks, uh, Shigehiko, his son, interrupts him and says that uh, he's having a girl over and Oyama tells him to give her his dinner. A uh, very nice gesture. He asks, uh, he accidentally spills some coffee on one of the photos and then he looks at, uh, he, he pulls out the photo and you know wipes off the coffee, but then the, the photo that he pulls out of the stack is this girl named Asami Yama, Yama, Yamasaki, right? And she has long black hair and dark eyes, and she's very cute. Her file says that she studied classical ballet for 12 years, and Oyama is intrigued, and he reads on. She writes that she isn't sure she can become an actor, and they probably won't choose her, but she was intrigued by the story. You know, she studied ballet, but she damaged her hips when she was 18, ending her dreams of practicing ballet in London, which she compares to accepting death. And we see a shot of a woman sitting up in a hospital bed. Uh, Asami's files go on to say that living is another way of reaching death. Pretty uh, dramatic. It's a very dramatic essay. Uh, I feel like they're like uh, emo lyrics from like the yes. <laughs> mid two thousands. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a lot, you know. I mean, I understand. So yeah, accepting death, like your sh- your dreams of your of ballet that you don't get to achieve, is similar to accepting death. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Who hasn't had one at least one of their dreams crushed in their lifetime? I feel like we all have. Absolutely. I mean, I tried to get into. I was talking about my show last night. I wanted to get into Berkeley College of Music. Bomb my audition i don't know that's not like death no it's a form of death if you want to go deep but it's not de- death is big actually monique afterwards was like who stops music just saying you get, get into berkeley like no one gets into berkeley <laughs> yeah me <laughs> but you're playing again i'm still playing yeah, yeah i didn't give it up entirely so asami's file goes on to say that living is another way of reaching death and that she knows these facts very well and 
It's the reason that she applied for the part. So we cut to Shigehiko in a schoolgirl's uniform in the living room discussing their paleontology homework. Oyama comes downstairs and introduces himself to the girl. Miss Suzu is her name. So Shigehiko says that he saw her on the train and thought she was pretty, so he talked to her, and Oyama congratulates him on a good job. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a crazy move, by the way. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, you can't really do that stuff. You know, like if you try to hit on a woman in the train, like in New York City, there is a good chance that that is not going to work out well for you. You know, I, I suppose that kind of stuff does work every once in a while. Well, yeah. Where really is the appropriate place to hit on somebody? For sure. No, and I think I just think, but I mean, I don't know how maybe it's different. It's probably different in Japan. I mean, I think Japan is like a much especially in the the transit system i think it's just like a much more kind of like safer space for people you know like my brother possibly went to, yeah my brother went to japan once and he lost his bag on the train and they just like found it and kept it like in one of the offices you know like that would never happen in new york yeah and i oh feel no. like just people are always under like on guard in in subway trains in new york you know like because Guys are literally pulling their dicks out and masturbating. So, oh yeah, you know, all kind of the, this tr- subway here isn't much better. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, I used LA. to take it to work when I was doing tour guiding, and it was stressful every time. Yeah, so I mean, good on uh, Shigehiko there, but uh, yeah, you couldn't. Do Japan, that. I think, has just a more polite culture in general. I agree. The cities are cleaner, you know. Yes. So, Mrs. Uh, Suzu tells Oyama that she's interested in biology and that Shigehiko showed her his big book collection. Shigehiko says that they ate his dinner and Misuzu apologizes and offers to cook something for him, but he says not to worry about it and tells him to make sure that she gets home safe and he takes the dog for a walk. On the way out, he gives his son an okay gesture, like, yeah, nice, you know, Mm -hmm. and they smile and nod to each other. Cut to a single chair in a large, empty office overlooking the city. The motorized blinds slowly close as Oyama and Yoshikama sit across from the chair at a desk preparing for their fraudulent audition. Oyama says he's ready, but uh, he feels like a criminal, right? One of the moments where he admits that, like, maybe this isn't a good thing to do, but they do it anyway. Yeah, you're filled with guilt and, you know, you shouldn't be doing it, but yeah, fuck it. So the first girl comes in dressed in a black shirt and a blue turtleneck sweater. She says she's a bit nervous and the men say that they're going to tape her, but not to worry. We see a montage of the men interviewing different women, asking what their father's job is, why they applied for the part, if they've ever had sex with someone they didn't like, what music they like, if they're interested in drugs, if they've ever worked in the sex industry, if they've seen Tarkovsky films, and if they can act a bit for them. Yeah. A lot of really personal questions here. They get, yeah, very inappropriate questions for an audition or job interview. The women twirl batons, they tap dance, perform geisha routines, uh, walk around in their underwear and answer all manner of personal and sometimes inappropriate questions. And after a number of auditions, the men take a break. And Yoshikama says that Oyama doesn't seem enthused and is concerned he's losing interest. Oyama says that uh, it's not that. He's just he's nervous and he needs to use the toilet. So outside the audition room, Oyama passes the woman waiting around some cubicles before he spots a girl he thinks is Asami, but she's facing away from him. Back in the audition room, upbeat elevator music plays as Oyama and Yoshikama interview more women. Some describe previous work experience. One begins to undress and takes her top and bra off. Another shows them her scars and recounts suicide attempts and time spent institutionalized. Yeah, that's always a fun... Yeah. I I don't know why they didn't pick her. That's my question. I mean, she sounds... Interesting. Either, you know, he liked, you know, Asami's all like talking about like, oh, it's like accepting death and everything. Well, this girl seems way more fucked up. Yeah, but. right. Exactly. She's not happy. Yeah. Seems like. 
So the men seem to grow frustrated with the parade of women until the secretary sends Asami in to be interviewed. She's dressed all in white, and Yoshikama asks her if she's done any film or TV work in the past, and she says she's had opportunities, but she has turned them down. He asks her if she is signed with an agency and says she's on a contract with her with a record company called Ace Records. He says that she's unemployed and asks her how she manages her daily expenses. She says she keeps her costs low and helps at a friend's bar a few times a week. And Yoshikama says, don't you want to lead a luxurious life? And she replies that being too poor isn't good, but she can afford books and CDs, and that's enough for her. By the way, the bar is called the Stonefish, yes. which is, uh, if you guys aren't aware, one of the most venomous fish in the world. Oh, is it, it now? It looks like a rock, and it's in like rocky beaches, and if you step on it, it has spines on its back, and very high likelihood you die if you step on a stonefish. Interesting fact. Did not yeah. know that, but it's aptly named because we'll find out later. This is uh, there's a lot of ominous stuff going on here, folks. Yeah. So the camera zooms in on Oyama and a and he asks her about ballet. He says it must have been difficult after she damaged her hips and says that in her file she wrote that quitting was similar to accepting death. He was highly impressed and says he thinks everybody has similar experiences. He goes on to say in your lifetime. When you have something beyond your control, what can you do but accept it? I think that's life. I mean, I was amazed that a young girl like you understands that. I think you live your life in a very thoughtful way. That's that's what I thought, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. On one level, I do sort of understand it, you know? Sure. Like, even when like, I met Nikki, we both bonded over having gone through some pretty traumatic experiences. Yes. But we didn't dwell on it. Yeah. It's like a weird thing to say to somebody to be like, uh, I wouldn't expect that from... You know, someone You're like so you. young, but so sad and dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sounds like we got a leaf blower. But that's OK. Yeah. I don't think it'll pick up. All Even right. If it does. It's fine. We it's... do our best to control the environment. But, you know, there's only so much we can do here, folks. Yeah. It's kind of like accepting death when there's a leaf blower in your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She says uh, she thanks him for saying all those those kind words. And they stare at each other for a moment. Yoshikama asks if he's finished and they can dismiss her. So after she leaves, they decide to take a break and Oyama asks Yoshikama what he thinks. And he says that she made him nervous and that he wanted to cigarette, right? So he says that Oyama decided on her before the audition and he replies that he likes her very much. And he replies that he likes her much more than her nice writing. We can note here, uh, Takashi Miike and the screenwriter uh, also found her presence so unsettling that in between takes, they avoided her as much as possible. Really? Yeah, the actor, Aihi Shiina. Wow. Yeah. Oh, boy, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, he played Asami. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for her, kind of. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> he said she instinctually knew what to do with the character when he, okay. like, uh, he didn't... Like, he wasn't sure what should be happening. He was like, oh, she knew exactly what to do, and right. seems, like, a bit terrifying. Yeah, totally. Oyama is clearly impressed with her, and he gets up and moves to the audition chair. Yoshikama has serious doubts. He thinks there's something wrong with her. He can't say exactly what it is, but he just doesn't know, but he just doesn't like her. He's got a feeling. Oyama leans back in the chair and puts his hands behind his head. He doesn't share his friend's concerns. Later, Oyama is home having dinner with Shigehiko, and he says his girlfriend seemed nice. And Shigehiko says she looks nice, but he doesn't understand girls. Uh, he finishes his dinner and leaves the table. He also hopes that his dad's new wife is a better cook than Ri. Oyama asks why he's in a hurry, and he says they discovered a new dinosaur in Argentina and that he'll be busy collecting information. 
Kid loves dinosaurs. He truly, truly does. He's really committed to the craft. You know, I really loved dinosaurs when I was like five, six years old. Yeah, but he's like 15 he's now. He's like 15. Yeah, he's got to move on. He's like, I don't like girls. I like dinosaurs. Yeah. So Oyama tells him to take a bath, and he gets up to examine Asami's headshots and file again, and he calls her on the phone and says he's the producer who interviewed her earlier and asks if she'd have some time to talk. She says that she'd love to see him and they make plans to meet. Uh, as they talk, we see another shot of his deceased wife's photo on his desk. Her so, name's Ryoko, by the way. Ryoko. We'll mentioned her. We'll go back. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Ryoko. Oyama is excited to meet Asami and the phone rings again. Yoshikama is uh, calling to check in. He says something didn't seem right, and he says that he called Ace Records. He mentions the director she mentioned isn't at the company anymore. Yeah, he's been missing for a year. Cut to Oyama at dinner with Asami. We see him from her point of view. He's smiling and happy, and she asks if he only invited her to talk and eat good food. He confirms. She says it's the best request she's ever had. Uh, he asks her about the director from the record company, and she apologizes and says that she's never actually met him and doesn't really belong to any actor's agency, but was advised to answer stuff like that. You know, she was told as an actress just to say you're repped, and she apologizes for lying, but Oyama isn't concerned. We see a wide shot of them enjoying a romantic meal at a fancy restaurant. We cut to footage of the two of them crossing the street in the city as dreamy music plays, and we hear a voiceover of Asami saying that she'd like to talk more, and we see them part ways. He smiles after her when she turns to leave, and they make plans to see each other again. Nice, cute, romantic moment. It was very nice. You know, big city, boy meets girl in a weird, fucked up way. Yeah, you know. He's lying. A lot. <laughs> yeah, he's lying and manipulating, but, you know, maybe for, you know... For love. To, to try to find love. That's, that's right. That's the, everyone knows. Yeah. The best way to find love is to start your relationship on a lie. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good, man. That's really deep and sweet. Oh, yeah. You know, well, you know, Nikki watches a lot of 98 Fiance, so I pick up on that. A lot of those relationships start with lies. And, Do they? Oh, yeah. And then Ooh, just dog. more and more lies. And, man, that's incredible. Gotta love to see that people, stuff. People, uh, you know, tracking people down who don't want to be found. Oh, and... no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cut to Oyama and Yoshikawa on a rooftop putting green. Oyama says he doesn't care about the movie and is only interested in Asami and he th- as he throws uh, golf balls into a net. Yoshikama advises him not to be too hasty, to take some time and observe his prospect. Oyama asks why he's being so negative, and Yoshikama says that he only thinks that life isn't so easy. He says a beautiful, classy, obedient woman not having any boyfriends is unthinkable, and that none of her associates are accessible. Yeah. Oh, boy. Emphasis on obedient. (laughs) Obedient, yes. And there couldn't be any beautiful and classy woman without a boyfriend without being a suspect. Yeah. How is how would that even be possible? There's not it's never happened. It no, and it never will happen. He also says the bar uh, she was talking about is unknown and that they uh, they can't reach anybody who knows her. Oyama dismisses his concerns and says that he trusts himself over some other's evaluation. If there's any trouble, he thinks he can solve it. He says that Yoshikama said he could find his ideal woman through an audition and thanks him for it, and then he turns to leave. And Yoshikama asks him to promise not to call her and says that this thing is going to affect his whole life. He's like, just basically, just chill out, please. Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's good to listen to your friend. Sometimes, even if he's a piece of shit, just yeah, like even you. if he's a scumbag <laughs> movie producer who... Yeah. 
you know, creates <laughs> fake auditions to manipulate people for you. <laughs> yeah, he can still be right sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, it's a person probably has a good eye for sketchy behavior. I agree with that. You know? It makes perfect sense. So Oyama promises and he heads off, right? But Yoshikama looks very concerned at his friend's impulsivity. Cut to Oyama at home looking over Asami's file again. Ooh, he just can't get enough of this, Asami. Cut again to a shot of Asami at home on the floor facing away from the camera and staring at the phone on the floor. It's just like this rotary phone sitting on this wood panel floor in this shitty apartment. Yeah, she's just on her knees. And is that where her head is just down? Her like, head is down with her hair draped her over da- her Her head is hanging down like horizontally. Like, yes, like right. very like creepy. Yeah, it's kind of implying that she does nothing else but sit by this phone waiting for a call. So we cut back to Oyama in bed, tossing and turning, dreaming and seeing images of his wife standing behind a barren tree in the snow. Next, we see Oyama napping in a chair in his living room. Ri is asking if he's sick, saying it's rare for him to take a day off from work. She says he's been working very hard for his son since his wife died and that his company is doing quite well, but that he works too much. She wishes her husband was like him and says her life would be much easier if he was. She says that Oyama must have a nice girlfriend and that Men can't maintain without a female support. Then she gets up and goes to the kitchen. Oyama picks up the phone, but he puts it back down before looking at the ground and sitting back, defeated. Cut to a busy office. Oyama's secretary stands up to go home for the day, but stops off in his office to tell him that she's uh, leaving. He says, see you tomorrow, before returning to his laptop. She waits for a moment, and he says, oh, what is it? But she says, nothing, really, just I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, and she leaves. He finishes what he's working on and stares at the phone. Cut to a shot of a black rotary phone on the floor in front of a large canvas bag, right? It's that same phone. Mm-hmm. We see a shot of Asami's neck and shoulders as she sits on the floor with her head bowed down. A wider shot reveals her to be sitting on the floor in front of the phone uh, and a big-ass canvas bag, like a body-sized canvas bag. Big lumpy bag. Lumpy as hell. We cut back to Oyama as she picks up the phone and begins to dial before hanging up and walking out of his office. We cut to a close-up of Asami's bowed head and the phone begins to ring. She begins to smile slowly and she slowly raises her head up. Suddenly, the bag begins to roll around on the floor just before she answers the phone. And it makes like this like kind of growling noise. Yeah. It's very sudden and jarring. Yeah, right? It's kind of a jump scare a little bit. A little bit, this yeah. This fucking bag just starts moving and making noises. Mm-hmm. Spooky stuff. So she says she thought that he would never call again. Cuts Asami walking down the street in a red fur coat. and a voiceover, she says, if I told you the truth, you might think I'm a heavy woman. Cuts to Asami and Oyama at dinner. She says she's been longing for his call, and he apologizes and asks her how she is. She says she didn't think they'd ever have another date, and she's very excited. They clink glasses, and Oyama asks about her family. She says they just bought a house in Chiba, and that her father loves golf, and they're an average family, not too close, uh, but not too distant. Uh, He asks about the bar that she works at, and she says that it's called the Stone Fish, and Oyama asks if... He can come for a drink sometime, and she says the owner interferes with her private life. He says that he's just curious about her, and she says she won't lie to him, right? That's what she says. That's what she said. She's not going to lie to him. We see that the restaurant is now empty, and he tells her that the sponsor of the movie didn't like the story and that they had to actually suspend it and that it might not ever come out. She says that she didn't expect to get the main part, but is happy because uh, she met him. What a wonderful bonus. What a wonderful bonus. And she really is just totally enamored with this guy, you know? I mean, he's just like, wow, I really met the perfect woman. So at another dinner, she goes on to talk about herself and how she has trained herself to release pain and talks about uh, losing ballet. Oyama says that it's hard to forget, but someday she'll feel that life is wonderful again. 
She says that living alone is a hassle and that some guys approach her, but of all of them, uh, he's the first guy to ever support and try to understand her. On the cab ride home, they discuss having dinner again, and Oyama says he'll call her, and she says she'll wait for his call before the cab drops her off. We see another shot. She's really going to wait for that call, too. She's very much going to only wait for that call and do nothing else. Uh, also, she just has him like drop her off on the in the on the just, middle of the street. Yeah, some random ass, mildly sketchy looking street. That's right. We see another shot of the phone and canvas bag before fading to black. Cut to a computer screen showing information about dinosaurs. We're back with Shigehiko here. Oh, this boy loves dinos. He really does. He's in his room studying, and Oyama comes in to talk to him. He says, "You found a girlfriend, right?" Talking about his dad. Yeah, he's like. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, right, he's okay. like, yeah, you got a girlfriend. You gotcha. can smile sometimes now. Because, right. yeah, he was very, like, stone-faced for the first 40 minutes of the movie or something. He didn't smile once. He just looked very sad. That's right, yeah. And then he starts hanging out with Asami, and all of a sudden he's smiling again. Yeah, now his son's like, hey, Dad, you're smiling. What's going on? So Oyama tells his son that the girl is only 24 years old and must be very beautiful. Shigehiko asks if he's proposed yet. Oyama says, not yet, but they're going away for the weekend. And uh, he's going to propose, and then Shigehiko wishes him good luck. Yeah, Ayama's like in his forties, by the way, roughly. Yeah, yeah a twenty-four-year-old. It's a bit. Uh, it's a bit too young, buddy. But mm-hmm. uh, hey, we, we we're we're not going to stop you. Uh, Oyama says he'll introduce them soon, and Shigehiko asks to check her out first because his dad is uh, he's blind in love. Wow, astute observation. Yeah, smart kid. You know, yeah, yeah. he knows dinosaurs, and he knows and he loves love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we see a shot of a car driving down a country road in the mountains. Cut to a shot of Asami in a white dress looking out over a hotel balcony. We see her from behind as Oyama looks at her from the ins- from inside. She's looking out at the beach, and she turns around to smile at him. Later, Oyama is sitting inside wondering what they should do before dinner. He says the chef is very good but has a terrible mouth, and he kind of laughs at his own joke. I don't know why he was laughing at that. Yeah, it wasn't that funny. No, it wasn't funny at all, but he really fucking, it really got him. Asami turns to him from the bed and stares at him. She gets up and turns off the lamp. Oyama is still rattling off ideas for what to do as she begins to unbutton her blouse and removes her bra and underwear. He watches as she climbs into bed and asks him to come to her. He hesitates, but he gets up to join her, and she tells him not to take off his clothes just yet. By the way, we should mention she gets naked, but we don't see anything. We just, you know, we just see that she's taking off her clothes, but... No, we don't see anything. And I think at this point after this scene, I think we can come to a stopping point. I think this is a moment where stuff kind of starts to happen. Mm -hmm. I think it might be a, a good stopping point. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. So she asks him to just look at her body. And she pulls the sheet slowly up from her ankles to reveal two large scars across her thigh. She says that she burned herself when she was little and that she wants him to know all about her before removing the sheet completely. He says that she's beautiful and she asks him to please love her and only her. He says he understands and she says that everybody says so, but she hopes that he's different from the others. Only me, okay? Only me. Please love me. Only me. He nods and begins to undress and climbs into bed to kiss her. Suddenly, the angle changes as a body wrapped in sheets flops over violently in the bed. Kind of jarring. Very jarring. Very spooky moment here. And Oyama wakes up alone, seemingly in pain, to a ringing phone. And uh, he gets up to answer it, and it's the front desk. They say that his partner has left. And they're calling to confirm his stay. Confused, Oyama says, left. And we're going to stop here at this point in the movie. Yeah. It's the first time we've done this, folks. But like we said, we have another uh, quite a bit of a 
thing more to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is a good stopping point because at this point now you're like, okay, so now we've finally figured out something's fucking crazy with this lady because mm-hmm. she just, before our eyes, just disappeared from this moment. Right, yeah. Because there wasn't a cut here. There was like this body flipping over the sheets, kind of like covering the frame for a moment. And then we just see him in the bed and there's nobody else there. Yeah. And he wakes up and he's like a headache. He's like, yeah, he looks like he hasn't slept in days. I mean, it's like something's going on here and she's got these crazy burn marks on her leg. And Mm -hmm. so we'll stop it there for now, folks. And we'll get into some notes that Joe has that uh, were provided by Remy. And uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's like I'm going to have to skip around in these because some of them are kind of going to apply more to the next part of this episode yeah for sure there's just some basic stuff about critical reception here uh there was no reaction in japan upon its initial release in 2000 it didn't receive really any attention there until its reputation abroad became substantial oh interesting okay yeah so it got seen at film festivals then got it's like a hit in the u.s then all of a sudden japan was like oh what is this movie yeah, we got a thing. We got a thing now. Yeah. So I think Takashi Miike, he was making a lot of movies, and I think they were like mostly small, kind of lower budget movies that he was doing like in like two weeks. Right, right, right. So he was he's prolific, but I don't know if he was a super well-known director. Sure. I like to hear like, uh, yeah, he was doing all these in two weeks, and then it's like, yeah, he did this one in three, though. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I, that's not normal, right? Like movies usually take a few no, months. No, usually a month or a couple months. Or, right. you know, some big epics take like, six months on end crazy uh yeah but yeah a lot of times like a lot of the ones we've done you know they usually take a month or two Mm -hmm. the uh movie has it was uh included in time's top 25 horror movies uh it was on bravo's 100 scariest movie moments uh time out listed it as number 18 in their top 100 horror movie list Ooh, that's good uh it was uh, listed as 1001 movies you must see before you die and quentin tarantino included it in his top 20 films released since 1992 damn that's great some basic stuff about the cast uh aihi shaina who played asami uh, she started her career as a model uh, her film debut is in the 1998 movie Open House, and her most notable roles were Asami Yamazaki in Audition and Ruka in Tokyo Gore Police, which is another insane movie. All right, Tokyo Gore uh, Police. All yeah, right, yeah. yeah. That sounds intriguing. Yeah, I think I've got a DVD copy of that one lying around somewhere. Uh, right, of course you uh, do. Different kind of crazy than this movie. Yeah. It's like some insane body horror stuff. Right, right. Um, which this movie ends up being quite a body horror. A bit, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a very big scene in this movie that's it's clearly body horror. Yeah, kind of. Not, but not so much of like your body transforming into something grotesque. No, no. I guess I stuff. just I just mean like uh, I know that they called like uh, Titan that movie a body horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I would say, but is that what body horror means? It's like if your body is transforming into stuff. Because I always thought that body horror was like doing things to flesh and stuff like being... i think that's maybe a little more is classified as torture porn torture porn okay yeah cool. then there's yeah. a very torturey porny scene in this movie. oh yeah yeah this well this movie is considered the movie that uh spawned that genre oh fantastic that uh, makes sense although Mike disputes that and i kind of i i do on some level too i don't like the term actually i don't like it either but uh so ryo ishibashi who played uh aoyama uh he was keen to work with Mike despite not being a fan of horror films Remy noted that it's funny because Mike stated that he's not a fan of gore, despite his film catalog, which is full of gory, bloody movies. Right, right. Interesting. Um, Ishibashi, who again played Ayama, was the lead singer of ARB, which was a, a Japanese rock band that released over a dozen albums. 
before he got into acting. Oh, wow. That's badass. Uh, but his most notable roles include Audition, 2001's Suicide Club. Uh, he was Nakagawa in The Grudge and The Grudge 2. Uh, and he has won two Japanese awards for Best Actor for his work in Assigned Days and Another Lonely Hitman. Nice. Yeah, he's very good. He's a very good actor. Yeah. Uh, so Jun Kunimura, who played uh, Yasuhisa. Did I write Yoshikama or Yoshikawa? Yoshikama. Did I? Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, Is it Yoshikawa? It's supposed to be Yoshikawa. Or, but or some misspellings. His friend, the, the movie producer guy. Yeah, Yoshikawa. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was also in The Wailing, which is a South Korean horror movie directed by Na Hong Jin, uh, for which he won a Best Supporting Actor Award at the 37th Blue Dragon Film Awards. Uh, and he was the first non-Korean to win the award. I'd like to see that guy in more stuff. I think he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I imagine he is because I, I like him. Yeah, uh, The Wailing is a really good one. Okay. That's a, a really good recent, like a 2016 uh, Korean horror movie. Nice. Uh, he was in Black Rain in 1989, directed by Rig Ridley Scott as Yashimoto, which was his first non-Japanese film. And he was Funaki in Ichi the Killer, which was another Mike movie. Nice. Remy noted, this this movie is fucking wild. The opening title sequence is made by someone ejaculating and, and the semen spelling out the title. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Is that right? I didn't notice that. Uh, that's an Ichi the Killer. Oh, Ichi the Killer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right on. <laughs> which I think is about a Yakuza hitman. I don't know. I think okay. I've, I've seen it like in the, yeah. Yeah, right on. I like having Remy's uh, extra added commentary. Here. Oh, the commentary, it adds a whole lot. That's yeah. great. That rules. <laughs> uh, he was also in Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as Boss Tanaka. Okay. Tetsu Sawaki, who plays Shigehiko Ayama, the son, uh, is retired and currently working as a tax advisor in Osaka. Wow. She wrote Slay, Bestie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean... uh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Apparently there is a planned remake in 2014, but looks like it might not be happening. Of this movie? Yeah. No. Oh, that would have been cool. I don't know if it needs it, but. Nah. Uh, no, but I I mean, if it's made by Japanese people, then I'd be interested to see it. Uh, yeah, I think so. I've got uh, some notes here I took from the last drive-in. Takashi Miike didn't consider Audition a horror film. You know? Maybe. I don't know. I think it gets pretty horrifying. It, it turns into a horror, really. But I mean, I guess because I was watching it and I was like. This movie is such a slow burn that it's almost like, yeah, I was like, you could almost classify this as some other kind of movie, but then it, it turns into a very much a... It's definitely a relationship drama about men and women and, mm -hmm. you know... Some commentary there, but yeah, it's it's it turns into some pretty graphic horror stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the novel that Audition was based on was autobiographical, and it was based on Ryu Murakami's real-life experiences. Really? Yeah, that's, I think, one of the craziest details. This is like, uh, and you guys will find out how crazy it gets in the next part. But yeah, apparently uh, the guy who wrote the book experienced something similar to this. What part? Hard to say. Was it the woman uh, being something that she said she wasn't? Or was it, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, creating an audition in order to find the right spouse? I don't know. Maybe he and his son just went fishing one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, his son caught a little fish and then he caught a big one. <laughs> yeah, dude. I wonder if that's what inspired this entire got film. a housekeeper named Ree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything... One time he met a lady. Yeah, he met a lady once. Oh, so uh, this is fun. A lot of the actresses who were part of the audition in the movie were uh, amateurs and they were improvised. And these were like basically real auditions that they right. taped. Like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Like, I don't, I don't know if they, they tricked them. And right. Said, like, Take your bra off. 
Yeah, one girl just gets naked, which right. is like, uh, yeah. I did hope they tell her to do that in 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 the movie. She's doing it unprompted. She just right. starts taking her clothes off. Yeah, I wonder how that came up. I wonder if they were like, we really like they wrote it into the script, and they're like, we want one of you to do this. Yeah. Or if they were just on the fly, they were like, she just started to. Who knows? I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. It was the nineties, man. These were improvised auditions, so maybe she just. Yeah. Yeah, the nineties, very different time. The late nineties. <laughs> yeah, man. This was before nine eleven. Yeah, yeah, man. If you guys remember that, <laughs> anything goes. The girl who played Asami uh, had been in one other movie, but mostly worked as a model. Her father opened the first video store in the town where she grew up, and Takashi Miike said he knew he was going to cast her immediately. And that, as I mentioned, she instinctively knew what to do with the character. Mike felt like he didn't fully understand the character himself. And when he was unsure, he would ask her what the character would do. And as I mentioned before, he also said that he and the screenwriter would stay away from her and they weren't filming because they found her presence unsettling. Yeah. So so when you say that, did they think that her just playing the character, like she was just in character all the time? Or did they just say, as a person... We don't want to be around her. Yeah, no, they just, I think they just thought she was creepy. Uh, I guess in an interview 10, 10 years later, he said he still doesn't know who she is. Oh, right on. That's cool. Uh, audition was Mike's 35th film. Wow. Uh, yeah, right? Like, That's crazy. Imagine making 34 movies and then the 35th one is we finally have a hit. Totally. Uh, I don't know if Ichi the Killer came out before this one or Dead. There's only like Dead something or other, but. He might have had a few minor hits before this, but right. uh, Omega Project wanted filmmakers who were not known for making horror to adapt the novel. Uh, Mike was known for adapting his shooting style to fit the script and was not really known as a horror director and considered Audition to be a unique project. He basically treats every movie as a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most Japanese horror at the time pertained to the supernatural, uh, going back to traditional ghost stories from Japan from the 19th century. So this one was kind of breaking the mold in a lot of ways interesting uh mike is known pretty well as a horror director even though he's made very few horror films he's made over 100 movies and like three or four of them are maybe horror movies wow so this director yeah wow right which is like you know crazy yeah he made like one of the most hardcore horror movies of all time influenced eli roth to make hostile you know oh really wow yeah uh so Mike was stunned when Showtime asked him to be part of the Masters of Horror series, which was an anthology created by Mick Garris, where a bunch of famous horror directors did like a single hour long movie. Right, right. And they told him to make something he couldn't get away with in Japan and to do whatever he wanted. Now, the result was a movie called Imprint, which uh, Showtime decided could not be shown on TV. No way. It was only released on DVD in a heavily edited form. Really? Yeah. Wow. I I don't remember much detail, but I do remember watching Imprint at some point. I think it might have been on like early Netflix streaming. Yeah. All I can remember is my reaction was just like, what the fuck? Whoa. That's crazy. <laughs> the film attempted to avoid the cliches of Japanese horror at the time, uh, except for the only one that they went with was spooky young women with long black hair hiding their faces. Sure. Um. The dates were filmed in the style of romantic dramas in Japan made for a female audience. Uh, one convention of this genre was to have the people speaking straight onto the camera, which kind of gave the effect, like in, in Japan, they would read kind of like a Hallmark movie would read here. 
So if you noticed, um, I don't know if I mentioned it in the notes, but in the date scenes, a lot of it is just the camera pointing straight at Aoyama as right. he's talking, kind of like from Asami's point of view. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this yeah, is it's like, also some of them, uh, some of those shots, especially there's like one dinner scene that's like got a lot of like red and black and stuff. And it's very, it looks kind of soapy. Just the colors are kind of like a little blown out and it, it feels yeah, yeah. a little bit kind of like a weird soap opera. Yeah, that was that was kind of like what they were going for. That's cool. Yeah, I like that. Uh, audition was first screened at a small film festival in Italy and made such a splash that it was booked at the Rotterdam Film Festival, uh, making Mike a star and changing horror forever, uh, heavily influencing American directors like Eli Roth, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob Zombie called it the creepiest film he's ever watched. Wow. Yeah. It's creepy. I, I think that might be fair. You know, it is very creepy. It's a creepy movie. But coming from Rob Zombie, I'm like, God damn. Yeah, because that guy makes some pretty damn creepy movies. That's right. I say I think the rest of them might save for part two. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. And we'll save the superlatives for the next episode. Yeah, so I guess that's it for uh, audition part one. Yeah, that's uh, I you know, I think this is good. I think there was a lot of stuff in here that was I think I also think that we've talked a little bit about the notes and then it leaves more for people who haven't seen this movie and you like listening to the plot. It's kind of intriguing, right? Yeah, maybe some of you will want to watch it before we release the next episode. Yeah, maybe you should check it out. That'd be fun. If you're going to, I just say get ready. <laughs> yeah, really get ready because it's a lot. Um, all right, folks. Well, that's uh, that's episode 18 of the Only Horror Movie Podcast, part one of Audition. And we will uh, we'll see you next week for part two. Yep. All right. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>